0: Hello and welcome back to the Why You Know Doctor podcast. This is where we share stories from Asian leaders to empower and inspire the next generation. My name is Dominic and I'm your host. So on our show, we have real uncensored conversations with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and other professionals. Through these conversations, I hope to inspire listeners like you to pursue what you really want to while also making sure that you have the right mindset or advice to actually help you succeed along the way. So anyways, without further ado, enjoy this week's episode. Today I have Kevin on. My understanding is that you guys essentially have built like a customer management software.
1: We started a company called Catalyst Software back in the beginning of 2017. So my brother was running the customer success team at a company called DigitalOcean, which is one of the fastest growing cloud providers. To summarize their business model, they were kind of doing Amazon web services, but for individual developers better UX, cheaper servers, faster, et cetera. When he was there, they started to grow a lot of customer headcount that were for the B2B companies that were spending $50,000 a month. What they realized they needed to do was they couldn't provide the same type of customer experience for the $5 customers, like hosting a blog versus a business that was running $50,000 every single month. So his job was to build out the customer success team Within every single company, it doesn't matter if you're a B2B company or B2C e-commerce, is that you have customer data stored in a bunch of different places. So the easiest example is you sell somebody a product, you issue them licenses, there's a hundred different features. Out of those hundred licenses, you want to know like how many people are actively using it. So what's the adoption rate going like? Over the lifetime, they might submit tickets via Zendesk, right? If you've ever had an issue on like Uber or something, you submit that ticket right then and there. It's really hard for any company to drive customer success if it's not all in one place because you can't build a report very easily. So when he was there, he ended up building an internal tool with his team because the vendors that he saw in the market just weren't very good or up to his standard. And then towards the end of our tenure there, he got this crazy idea. He's like, let's go build this for the mass market. Two years later, here we are with you know, 15 million fresh funding. And we have 20 people. We'll be 40 people by the end of the year. Hopefully that gives you a good high-level overview.
0: So it's hard to get like the big view about like a customer because there's a lot of information housed in different areas.
1: Exactly. So I'll give you two examples. When you're talking with a startup, it could be LinkedIn or whatever. They always want to talk about, okay, what's your annual sales at? Is it growing year over year? Then the next really important topic is they want to look at retention. And so out of all the companies that are spending money with you, how many of them are canceling? Hopefully not a lot you want to renew them and you also want to upsell them because even if you're going like five, 10, 15, 20 million every single year, but you have a leaky bottom of the funnel. So like customers that you initially signed up are canceling, you're not going to be around for very long. When they look at these reports, they want to run something like, okay, show me all upcoming renewals this quarter. And I want to see their health score, which encompasses what is their product usage adoption out of the 2000 licenses you've sold them. How many are actively being used? Are they using all the right features? Catalyst is built to quickly integrate all your data and get a single pane of glass view. So the second example that I'll give is if you take a look at Spotify. Spotify, it's on a month-to-month subscription. You can cancel at any time. Out of the billion users, which users are not logging in? They follow Drake but didn't listen to his recent album. They're probably listening it to on a competitor. Then they need to aggregate this data, take action with it. In-app push notifications or an email alert. You've probably gotten similar ones for Uber where it's like, hey, you just got $10 in credit. And it was because they realized that, okay, Dominic was getting rides Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 7 a.m. every day. And then all of a sudden this month, he's not. So Lyft probably gave him a discount and we need to give him a better one.
0: Got it. That makes sense. You guys just got like your Series A, right?
1: We got our Series A. We raised $15 million from Excel. They're the early investors in companies like Facebook, Dropbox, Spotify. So they have a really good track record and you know they really see catalyst is the future of customer experience where every every company that wants a single pane of glass truth for their customers will
0: come to catalyst how does that process normally work you know securing like a series a for anyone that that has like a great idea maybe has started already like building some sort of prototype or something like how does that process even work with
1: the seed round our first two and a half million dollars that we raised in 2017 not all VCs will look for, you know, revenue. So what we went for, because we didn't have any revenue, we didn't have customers, all we had was actually a PDF file. So it was me and my brother, we flew out to San Francisco and one, this PDF file has to look and feel real because that's just your storytelling at that point. Yeah. And you need to get everyone in the room to believe that you're going to take this PDF file and turn it into a big company. And ideally, you can tell the story so good in the PDF file, it looks real that they don't even realize that you haven't built anything yet. So with that process, you look for early seed stage pre-revenue investors. So we got it from True Ventures and they've been incredible. We would not be here without them. They took that initial leap of faith. But with them, what they look for is like, they look at the founders. Do they have domain expertise? Do they have a track record for success? It doesn't have to be in certain companies. My brother and I, feel like we had built a really good reputation for ourselves and within the tech community. And that was actually how we got referred in. One of the VPs of sales at Cloudera which recently went public, really liked my brother and introduced him to Phil Black, one of the partners over there. He opted on a call. He liked what we had to say. We flew out immediately. What they realized was they asked all their portfolio companies, they're like, hey, we're talking to this company who's claiming they're going to solve X, Y, and Z. What are you guys currently doing for that? And every single person they talked to told them, yeah, we tried to use X, Y, and Z, which they also tried to use at DigitalOcean and it just didn't work. An hour just doing everything in-house. We would love to have a tool like this. With that validation for them, that was enough for them to give us the offer. Fast forward to Series A, the usual standard to even get a series A is I would say 75% of investors want to see like at least a million dollars in revenue. They want to know that there's some sort of traction. For us, for our space, it was like, okay, it's a massive market. All the investors are talking about what is gonna be the new customer experience software tool provider a very high barrier to entry in our space you got to build all the different data integrations you got to build the workflow management for the end users and you got to build the reporting so for us it took us a little bit longer to go to market but what we showed them was a like traction in terms of customer getting that customer feedback and sentiment was all really strong I don't know if we actually tried to do this now that I'm thinking about it, it just so happened that mm-hmm. Excel one of the top investors if not the top at the time that we started having these conversations One thing that I'll add really quick is that you got to start building these conversations early. You want to be very targeted and methodical about who you approach. So of course, Excel, we're like, we're going to meet with them and build a relationship. So when we met with them in January, the partner that we got money from loved what we were doing. He had been evaluating different startups to invest in this space. And he was also referred in by one of our existing investors. And that always helps when they know that the existing investors you know, they they like what they see in terms of all the traction. And he told us, you guys aren't ready yet for the Series A. Like, I need a little bit more proof in the pudding. So what we did was went back and brought him back 30 of these enterprise customers that he was looking for with insanely high contract sizes. And... I mean, I wasn't there for that exact first meeting. My brother does fundraising, but he said he had the entire room. Just like, wow, like, holy shit, you guys did what I asked and then some.
0: Essentially, like the more revenue that you guys have or the more accounts, does that get you also a better deal? So usually specific
1: series A is usually between seven to 10 million. And then you get a valuation from. Thirty to forty million post money. So when we got the fifteen, the terms just happened to be, I would say, pretty exceptional. My co-founder has become an excellent fundraiser, and we're both business and sales guys. We have sales acumen that they did really tell a great story. Usually, it's a variety of different things: how many customers, how much revenue, and then what's the standard. Also when you start a company you realize that fundraising game is literally almost a game it's like you drive the fomo effect you take two top vcs and if one of the other vcs feels like you're going to get a term sheet from another one they're mm-hmm. going to give you a better deal all they want is to get a certain percentage of the company
0: so that's pretty interesting so you said your background's mostly in like bd or sales
1: I guess there's a reason why I'm on this podcast, because not only am I not a doctor, but definitely don't think I have the brains to be a computer science major. We both went to a state school called Cal State Fullerton. It's near Anaheim. I'll be honest with you. I didn't really get good grades. Neither did he. I think my huh. GPA was, I think, a 2.1, not a 2.2. What?
0: yeah it's pretty shocking right yeah I was thinking you're gonna say like you know 3.2 or something
1: (laughs) No, it was it was bad it was like the bare minimum (laughs) required to graduate you know I guess you can never really say you wish you did something else because if I did Mm. maybe none of this would have happened but I do think that if I were to go back I would have tried to learn a skill like Computer science, because I think that it would have made my initial days of starting the company a lot easier. But there's pros and cons, right? Because there's a lot of startup founders who have the engineering and product background, but they don't know how to make a pitch deck. They don't know how to sell. Only way to make it successful is focus on your ability to recruit the best people. And storytelling and selling definitely has a big part in that. I, you know, thinking about it, like the path that I chose, it just it really helped me be the founder that I am today.
0: For me personally, I credit so much to, you know, attending drama school or just doing scene study or doing improv classes when I was in LA, because that taught me like everything about just human behavior and listening to people and understanding the subtext. When you were young, were you always pretty entrepreneurial?
1: I mean, when I was young, I didn't have like a lemonade stand like they see in the movies, but yeah, I was very entrepreneurial. I'd read TechCrunch all the time. My brother attempted to start many businesses. Mm-hmm. It was definitely an early on thing. You really have to want to take this life because, you know, now that we raised 15 million from Excel, I get all these congratulations on LinkedIn. How'd you do it? And I tell them, like, honestly, it's pretty shitty for the first two and a half years. Culture was bad, product didn't work, morale was down. And There's this one point where me and him are just staring at each other, like, damn, what happened? And you just got to go back to the drawing board and just sheer perseverance and grit. You're not giving up until you make it.
0: People don't realize all these things that, like, I think, like a founder or like an owner of a company needs to deal with. It's just like so much relationship management, like internally, externally, and even just like trying to hire the right people. Like, it makes or breaks a company. I think it must be really nice to have your brother also because it's someone that actually understands kind of like what you're going through and to be mm-hmm. able to share a lot of that, uh, you know, the stress, but also the ups and downs.
1: Yeah. You know, a lot of people ask about me, what's it like working with your brother? The the funny thing is he lives right next door to me. So I live in apartment 1A, he lives in 1C. So starting a company with a sibling or a significant other is something that I would caution people to really think thoroughly about. Not everybody can work with their brother, sister, wife, Mm -hmm. and husband, you know, I think thankfully, you know, even though I'm saying a lot of positive things now, I lost track of how many arguments we got, but, and you're going to have arguments, debates, and early on, like, there's so many lessons that we learned, and you have to be able to work through the problems, and it's just about communication, being able to, you know, admit when you're wrong, you know, attribute a lot to our mom. Um, she's an mm-hmm. incredible person and when we started this company she had tried to start companies with her siblings in the past and i don't think they worked out very well and she was very nervous for us to do it i remember when we told her that two and a half million she started crying and i'm just like what the hell is going on like i couldn't tell she was happy but she was like mostly just freaking out worried that you know if we ever got in a fight like we wouldn't talk to each other anymore so she made it a- <laughs> Make a pact that said, you know, if, <laughs> if we start this company, that we can never like abandon each other. And you know, we all kind of shook hands there and uh, pledged this oath that, like, yeah, like nothing will break us apart. And I think that we've really stayed true to that statement. I don't think there's anything like after this. I don't know how he feels, but you know, I have a lot of other company ideas, and I would he'd be the first person I go to to do it with.
0: Yeah, of course. Speaking about just like your mom, so. You had some pretty shitty grades. (laughs) Did they want you to like do other things or you're
1: Oh no, she was she was not supportive of my two point one GPA. Oh man, kudos to that woman. Yeah, I was not the best kid growing up. I definitely got in a lot of trouble. I was just like a little bit of a hoodlum. So there's a few things that I, I would say helped. So one, we grew up in Orange County, like Laguna Beach. I didn't grow up in Irvine, where all the kids were Asian and all everyone's getting a four point oh, and you know yeah. B just stands for bad. All my friends were, you know, these these white kids, um, and I was this young Asian kid who, you know, just wanted to fit in, and it was a different bit of a culture at first. Mm-hmm. It took my it took my mom a while, I think, to adjust, and then one of the first things that really helped was she ended up marrying this white guy. He was just so helpful like every time I was in deep waters he'd you know just kind of just say like it's okay like this is just how kids are. With my grades I'd hide some of my progress reports. I think it was like sixth seventh grade I was already starting downhill like I'd hide my progress reports behind my bed and just wasn't the best strategy thinking about it. So she was making my bed one time and like pulls out the sheets and like dropped 25 progress reports. And, uh, yeah, I was, pretty, I was pretty much a dead man. I don't know how I made it out of that one alive. I think over time, she realized that, like, this kid's not going to be a doctor. He's just going to have to go do sales. and follow his brother's path.
0: Yeah, my brother actually used to live in Laguna Beach after college. So your mom moved here or your parents moved here from Taiwan? Or were mm-hmm. you born in Taiwan or no?
1: No, so my mom, she's pregnant with me in Taiwan, but I think had me in L.A. and then flew me back and then eventually we ended up moving to um, California, Palm Spring.
0: Okay, gotcha. So your brother was born in Taiwan. Do do you speak any uh, Taiwanese?
1: I can understand it a lot better. Anytime my mom was pissed off, she'd yell at us. (laughs) So I just have memorized that part, but I can speak, I don't know, I'd rank it like a three out of ten. It definitely should be a lot better
0: yeah I feel like the same way. I mean, like luckily, I grew up speaking chinese with with my mom and my dad. I mean it's hard though if you you know if you don't live in like China or like a Mandarin speaking place, just kind of forget. yeah, it's tough. Go cool, do a few other questions. You know one thing is there's there's not that many uh, Asian people in entrepreneurship so far, like just being Asian. Has there been any like positive impacts or negative impacts in like your specific field?
1: Yeah, I mean, we have, <laughs> this is not going to sound very, uh I think when you look at Catalyst's team, we had the diversity issue. Like there was a lot of Asian people. And as a result, you kind of attract other Asian people. But now we've mixed it up and like, I think it's definitely helped in some capacity, you know, whether you want to admit it or not, there is this kind of culture where, you know, all these people with like an Asian American background and like their parents, like. We all kind of grew up the same way and like our, probably our moms and dads had a lot of the same principles, you know, but building a startup, you really have to have a diverse group of people in there. And one of the things that we did now was we hired a head of people early on, like usually want to make this hire to a little bit later. And this person's background is not just specifically in like recruiting or talent acquisition. It's In the employee experience, you know, she's has 10 years of building diverse teams about inclusion, diversity, you know, compensation, career ladders, all of these things that really help cultivate a really good startup culture and not just having your traditional, like fast growing Silicon Valley, like tech group of people where you you have a startup and all of a sudden there's. 25 people and there's no female, right? And the first lady that walks in, they're going to be a little uncomfortable. So we try and get ahead of that.
0: That makes sense. Another question is like, what advice would you give to a young Asian kid in college today? That's about to graduate. That's interested in building a business or getting into entrepreneurship. I would say
1: you have two paths. One is you go start one or you go work at one. And I would always recommend that, like my opinion is very biased because I never joined the Googles of the world and worked at a big company. I always went to a small startup and I kind of just followed my co-founder's path. And I would say, join a startup, a relatively small one and try and be the first person. So I'll give you an example. When I was looking at startups in San Francisco, I knew that I wanted to be an early salesperson. That way I could kind of you know perform really well and then get promoted fast get exposure at the leadership level the nice thing about the culture here that we try and cultivate and empower is transparency like we have 20 people all of them knew almost step by step where we're at in the fundraising process we send out a weekly email every single week that has talks about sales pipeline any investor updates customer updates product metrics, engineering metrics and If you're joining, that means you want to be part of something and more than day-to-day. like You want visibility into how a business operates and goes from zero to one. And That's exactly what we're going to show you here. So my advice to to those listening is if you want to go be an entrepreneur one day, go learn from the best. It's going to save you a lot of time and mistakes. Mm -hmm. Um, But the way I would approach that is don't just join any startup because there's a lot of startups out there that even Catalyst today is not guaranteed to be success. You know, there's a lot of talk about successful startups on TechCrunch, but there's thousands, if not tens of thousands of ones that never made it. When you're looking at these startups, there's a few things you want to look at. Look at the founders. What is their background? What is their track record? If it's a second-time founder, that's a huge plus because they know what they're doing. Who are the investors? The better the investors, and if they have a track record investing in successful companies, that's who you want to pick make sure you look into like the market like whatever company you're about to join are they building something innovative how do they rank against competitors read glass door reviews just do your research and do your due diligence and when you go in there don't just go in there to be sold like once you're done interviewing for them it's your turn to interview them in exchange Mm -hmm. and make sure that they are going to be around long enough for you to learn you know, because sometimes you may join a company you don't even realize and then they do a layoff like three months later.
0: Yeah. And then you waste your time. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's great advice. I think that's really, really helpful. It's really actionable also. So I just want to ask if there's uh, any last parting words or how does someone, you know, do you have a personal website? Or-
1: no personal website yet. I'm on LinkedIn a ton, So if anyone wants to follow me, just look up Kevin Chu, K-E-V-I-N-C-H-I-U. And the company is Catalyst Software, C-A-T-A-L-Y-S-T. Send me a note, send me an email, follow me on Twitter, KVN underscore C-H-I-U. Connect with me there. Happy to give advice to anyone that reaches out.
0: All right. Well, thank you for the awesome podcast and for your time. No, this has been a ton of fun. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Why You Know Doctor podcast. If you want to check out some more of our content, you can follow us on social media with uh, the handle at WYNDPodcast. And also, if you just have any other feedback for myself, guest suggestions, or anything else that you want to tell me, you can reach out to me directly at Dominic at WhyYouKnowDoctor.com. So until next time, stay tuned and thanks for listening.